Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of, the go- to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my works for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful to be here gathered as your people gathered as those who are bought by the blood of your son, gathered as those who are filled with your spirit. And we ask you to do what you love to do, and we ask you to do what you promise to do, and that is shape your people around your word by the spirit. Conform us to Christ. Pray that you do that all across our city uh, in those churches that are meeting and even those online uh, churches and ours included, those who are watching online. Lord, would you by your word through your spirit encourage and challenge and shape and inform and instruct. Lord, may we be pressing in during this pandemic. May we not waste it. May we be more like you as a result of this particular trial. Lord, I pray for our missionary partners uh, who are experiencing the same sort of trial, sometimes even in more difficult ways, that you would help them to bear with this trial well. Lord, that those that are married, their marriages would be strong, that they would be focused on serving you that the home would be a flourishing place, that children would be being discipled as they, many of them can't make disciples outside of their home currently, Lord. Would you give them patience and forbearance and endurance? God, we ask that you would continue to move us forward as a congregation for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see you. We are winding down our study of the book of Romans. And by winding down, I mean, we've got five more weeks. So meet me in Romans 15. If you heard with us last week, we saw that in Romans 15, eight, the reason Jesus came was twofold. Number one, it was to confirm the promises that he had made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that related to that, that the Gentiles would glorify God. And most of us, probably all of us in here are Gentiles. And so he looked at the Old Testament and all kinds of passages to show this was always God's plan, that the gospel would go forward and that the Gentiles might be saved, not just Jews. Well, here we are, we're saved, but also we're going to see that means we have work to do. Remember why Romans was written. I've mentioned six reasons here a few times. Let me just highlight one of them, two of them. We've seen in Romans 14, the unity of the church. One of the reasons Romans was written was to unify the church around the gospel. Because if there's division, the mission is diverted. And then we're going to see the the last reason here in the next couple of weeks. And that is because Paul needs help. Paul needs support to get to Spain. 
And so in many ways, this is a missionary support letter that we have here in the book of Romans. Many of you have received those, right? Missionary support letters. In fact, sidebar real quick. Some of you have been around a little while and know Tim and Michelle Bradford may have recently received a letter from them because they are going to be heading to the mission field. They're going to be doing ministry with a ministry called Cadence, and they'll be primarily ministering to uh, a base, an Air Force base. And so if you haven't heard, you will probably hear from them. In fact, we want to, if the Lord wills, bring them on as a, as a partner of Southside. And uh, they'll be here on Sunday morning, August 9th. So really looking forward to, to seeing them. And we're going to try to facilitate some evening meeting where they can talk a little bit more about their ministry. So just a heads up that that's, that's coming. So Paul, is, this, is a, this is a missionary support letter. He wants to get to Spain. He wants the gospel to go to Spain. And that's one of the reasons why he's writing, to encourage them. But he also wants them to know who he is, his message, and encourage him so that he might go. Remember, he hadn't been to Rome yet. Paul had not been to this church. But doesn't he write boldly? Deep theology, as we've seen, and then in your faith application. So he begins by affirming his audience. Look at Romans 15, 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you. Some translations convinced about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He writes, listen, I'm convinced about you. I know that you are all in for King Jesus. This is a healthy church. And he says, you're full of goodness. But if you're a careful reader of Romans, that ought to, that ought to raise your eyebrow a little. Wait a minute. Because remember Romans chapter 3? It feels like it was like February of 2014. Romans chapter 3, we saw there are none righteous. All people, Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. There's no one good. No one seeks for God. So how is it that we go from no one being good to now full of goodness? Well, Christ. Regeneration. Being born again. That's the difference. Outside of Christ, there is none good. We talk about sin a lot. Because the Bible talks about sin a lot, even though a lot of churches don't talk about it anymore. And we talk about total depravity. And what we mean by that is there's no area of our person that's not affected by sin. In other words, the totality of who we are outside of Christ is tainted by sin. Our heart, our mind, our will, the totality of us. Well, after regeneration, that's no longer the case. In other words, Christians are no longer totally depraved. We were then we got saved. And now we're saints, actually. We are set apart. And so as we think about ourselves, we ought to think, yeah, we're fallen always. We'll battle sin to the day we die. But fundamentally, our self-perception ought to be a positive one because of God's work in us and through us. And that's what Paul wants the church to know. You're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. They know God's word. Paul's quoted it so many times. They know the will of God. They know the centrality of Christ. They were people of the book. They were theologically literate. And because their knowledge of the faith is filled, is complete, he says they're able to admonish one another. Maybe your translation says able to instruct one another, competent to counsel. And remember, this is the whole church. This is every Christian, every Christian able to help one another follow Jesus, able to be biblical counselors. What is counseling? It's helping people through the problems of life. What do we believe the solution to all the problems of life are? Where are they found? Well, they're right here. And so every Christian ought to know the Bible well enough to be able to apply it to one another, to the problems of life. It's where discipleship and counseling really aren't that different, are they? They're just 
bringing the truth to bear on our life. And so we ought to always be growing in that and able to do it, able to instruct. All of us, needy sinners, helping needy sinners finish the race well. That's the Christian life, all based upon the grace of God. Speaking the truth in love one another until we all reach maturity. So I wonder, do these, do these characterize you? Would Paul be convinced of you, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct? Well, if not, what steps can you take to get there? Thankfully, the route to the first two, being full of goodness and filled with knowledge, is actually the same avenue, and that is the Word of God. How can we be changed and conformed to Jesus' goodness? Well, the Word. How can we be filled with knowledge? Well, the Word, the truth, right? The Word informs us and so we ought to be a people of the book reading this thing meditating on this thing memorizing this thing regularly if you're not a member here welcome uh, join a church like this that does expositional preaching in other words preaches through books of the bible verse by verse passage by passage so that the point of the sermon is the point of the text that's how you can grow in the first two read some solid books God has given America, in particular the West, a plethora of resources of teachers through books. And so we've got a book table around the corner. We've got books on our website, recommended solid books. We put books every week on Facebook. Be filled with knowledge. What about able to instruct? How can you grow in your ability to instruct one another? Well, really the same way as I've already mentioned. But also I want to mention one other thing. We've mentioned this a couple of times, but I want to mention it. One more time, maybe two more times before we get there. There's a conference called the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. And last year, 13 people from Southside went, and it was really encouraging. Let me tell you about it. It's in Fort Worth. It's two hours and 15 minutes west, right off I-20 on Cuban Street. And it's three different weekends. So it's a bit of a commitment, a bit of an investment, but it's Friday nights and Saturday during the day lectures. They bring in equipped, skilled teachers that equip people just like you to become better at applying the word of God to all of life. And so they'll talk about counseling and a theology of counseling. And they'll talk about marriage and family and, and addiction and discouragement and all the problems of life that we all experience from one degree to another. And they'll help equip us how to bring God's word to bear. So let me encourage you to think about that, to pray about that. Three weekends this fall, check out the website, thecbcd.org. And there will be some online options already, but even if, if COVID continues to shut things down, that'll be an option as well. But I promise you, it'll be worth your time to be able to instruct one another. Well, the church of Rome was. They were healthy. And Paul confesses that even though they're healthy, I've written boldly, he says, look at verse 15. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. In Romans, Paul's been bold as he should and as we should. We need more bold Christians today, maybe more than ever, feels like. Because we're talking about eternity, aren't we? Eternal life and eternal death. And so, yeah, let's not take ourselves too seriously, but we need to have a serious sober-mindedness about us and about the things of God. Life is short. So be bold. You will be called unloving, I can guarantee you. But friends, there's nothing more loving than telling the truth. Don't be a jerk. Be humble. 
but don't be a coward. Be bold. You will be called a bigot for believing the Bible in America in 2020. So we just got to own that. That's all right. And we pray for boldness. Listen to the way Paul prayed for boldness in Ephesians. Prayed that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly. So even Paul, as I ought to speak, that's his prayer request. Maybe that ought to be ours. Give me boldness. He says he's written boldly. He says he's written by way of reminder. Paul's often saying the same things to a variety of contexts, right? Because we need to hear it. We need to be reminded. We are forgetful people. Just like Israel of old, we're really not that different. Long ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, noted that you normally teach information to render the information superfluous, right? So that you don't have to teach it again. That's the essence of teaching, but not so with Christian teaching. With Christian teaching, repetition is the very thing it requires. Paul will tell Timothy, hey, keep reminding God's people of these things. What are these things? Well, it's what they've been taught. It's, it's the body of doctrine handed down. He says, stand firm in the tradition you have been taught. Guard the deposit that has been entrusted to you. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Continue in what you've learned. Philippians 3.1, to write you the same things. There's no trouble to me and it's good for you. So he writes, he writes boldly. He writes by way of reminder. And Paul always is going to remind us he writes because of grace. Galatians 1.15, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, grace, grace for his salvation, grace for his calling. And then Paul proceeds to talk about his ministry. It's a missionary support letter, so he wants them to know what he's been up to. And I can't really improve on John Stott. John Stott breaks out these passages with three Ps. He talks about Paul's priestly ministry first, Paul's powerful ministry, and then Paul's pioneer ministry. So first, Paul's priestly ministry in verse 16. Grace has been given him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul uses like five terms here in this passage that are all coming straight out of the old covenant temple. And so the temple would be where the priest would be a minister who would offer acceptable sacrifices, right? And so Paul's saying all that is still around. Now, we don't do physical sacrifices anymore in the new covenant. Jesus was the final sacrifice. It is finished, but our work is not, and our priestly work is not. That's what he lays out here. Our work is the priestly service of the gospel of God. I love that language. Our service is of the gospel. That's what we're serving. That's what we're ministering. It's a message, and it's a message endowed with power. And so as we're faithful to that, God's power comes to bear. That message that God is holy and we are sinful. We do not meet the standard that our God requires, but God has made a way. God has sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we could never live and to die the death that we deserve so that if you will trust in Christ, you will have your sins forgiven and live forever with him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what our ministry is of. That is Romans 1.16, the power of God for salvation. 
And what does he say the goal is of this priestly ministry? He says, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. The offering of the Gentiles. I think Paul's thinking of Isaiah yet again in these verses. Let me read from Isaiah 66 for you. Isaiah 66, verse 18. Very last chapter of this prophecy, what God's going to do in the future. I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and they shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool and Lude, who draw the bow to Tabal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. Here's the illusion. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. On horses and in chariots and in litters, and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So nations are going to get saved. These foreigners, these pagans, they're going to get saved. But not only are they going to get saved, notice what he says next. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites says the Lord. Are you tracking with that? In the future, God's saying he's going to save his people and then he's going to send his people out and all these foreigners are going to be saved and God's going to make them priests. They're going to be pagan Levites in the new age. Verse 22, for as the new heaven and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Foreigners, Gentiles, that's us, friends, saved, included, and then given a priestly ministry. Which is why Peter says, the church, us, we are a kingdom of priests. You are a priest. As Protestants, we talk, we don't believe in a priesthood. I'm no priest in terms of the formal sense. We talk about the priesthood of all believers. If you are a believer, you are a priest. If you are a believer, you have access to God and you have a ministry. That ministry is to be a mediator. That's what priests do, right? They mediate between God and man. You have access and your call is to go and make that access known. And bring the Gentiles as an offering. I wonder if you ever think about evangelism in those terms. I'm going to go share the gospel. I'm going to bring them as an offering to the Lord. You are a priest and you offer those you're witnessing to God as an acceptable offering. See, witness is worship. And worship should lead to witness. And then witness to worship. So that's his priestly ministry. Secondly, his powerful ministry. Look at Romans 15, verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He mentioned a few things about here his powerful ministry. First, he shows Paul has no room to boast. 
He's proud in Christ Jesus of the work, but he knows that it's only through Jesus that he's done anything. As we just saying, yet not I, but through Christ in me. He knows he's just an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer. He's just a vessel through whom the Messiah works. 2 Corinthians 5 is probably my favorite passage in this regard. Again, all of us, every Christian, we're called to be ambassadors of God. And as we go and we proclaim, we urge people, we exhort people to be reconciled to God. That passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says, God makes his appeal through us. Is that not incredible? What a privilege. You know, he didn't have to give us this task. He could have done it all himself. But now, as we are faithful to this gospel, we share it. And we urge people, and as we're speaking truthfully his word, God himself is urging those people through our message. How fun is that? You know, in the book of Acts, you see the church growing like crazy. But you also see the apostles working their tail off, right? And the non-apostles. In fact, more non-apostles than apostles. Persecution, and they scatter, and the church grows. Saints doing work. But notice what Luke says again and again in the book of Acts. And the Lord added to their number. And the Lord added to their number. It's the Lord who adds and who builds his church. If you're in Romans, flip over to the next book, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. There was some division in Corinth. Some liked Apollos better than Paul. So Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? I like that he didn't even say who. He says what? Servants through whom you believed. That's all. As the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So yeah, we need to plant. Nothing grows if you don't plant it, right? You need to water it, but at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen unless God gives the growth. Our part and God's part. Flip over a few pages to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. First Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's God's part. But notice this. He didn't waste his grace. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them but then he wants to qualify it again even though he started with grace he wants to qualify it again though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me he works harder than anybody because God's working right that's Philippians 2 12 and 13 work out your salvation for it is God who works in you he can be proud of his work because at the end of the day it's not his work it's Christ's work and he can be proud of his work because it's work that matters 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Then notice the goal of his ministry. So first, he has nothing to boast about. But notice what he says the goal of his ministry is in verse 18. It's to bring the Gentiles to obedience. That's what he says. That's the goal. Now, we might think... We would probably say, what's the goal of ministry? To bring the Gentiles to faith. 
And he's talked a lot about faith, hadn't he, in Romans 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And so we know that faith is required, but he can use shorthand for obedience for a couple of reasons. He knows that saving faith always leads to obedience or it's not saving faith. Right, ladies? Studying James. James calls it demon faith. Mere intellectual assent that actually doesn't lead to life change is not saving faith. And listen, friends, Abilene's got a lot of fake faith. But he can say obedience because he knows that true obedience will go forth. In fact, remember, Romans is all about that. Let me me just show you again. Romans chapter 1. What is the goal of this book? He says in verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. What's his goal? To bring about the obedience of faith. How does he end the book of Romans? Romans 16, verse 26. He wants to bring about the obedience of faith. That is the obedience that flows from faith. Paul wants to see the nation submit to the lordship of King Jesus. He wants to see others obey the Lord. Paul's not just concerned with decisions, but with disciples. Not just Sunday Christians, but all of life followers of Jesus. So this powerful ministry, he can't boast. He can't take any credit for it. And his goal is obedience. And then he tells us about the power. His ministry was accompanied with power. Christ has worked through him, he says, by word and deed. Christ worked through Paul and the apostles by word and works. Through the verbal and the visual. Through the ears and the eyes. The ministry of the apostles was accompanied by signs, miracles, Wonders. Let me read 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle. Here they are. They were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. There you go. What does it mean to be apostle? You had the ability to perform signs and wonders and mighty works. And the purpose of these was to show the message was true. The reason we see an abundance of miracles in the first century and, and not anymore and not before that Because the purpose of God in accompanying the apostles with power was to attest to the validity of the the message. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This message, it, was declared at first by the Lord, and here it is. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So we shouldn't expect this, the the book of Acts type of miracles today. It wasn't his purpose. Of course, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. But the reason for the abundance of power in the ministry of the apostles was to authenticate the gospel message. Third, Paul's pioneering ministry. Look at Romans 15, verse 19. They're in the middle. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, Isaiah 52, those who've never been told of him will see, and those who've never heard will understand. Paul had an incredible pioneering ministry. 10 years, three missionary journeys, 
all over the eastern Mediterranean, Jerusalem, all the way to Illyricum. And his call was to go to Gentile territories, unreached places, preach the gospel, see churches planted, raise up leaders, and then head on. That's what he would do. As we mentioned, he planted, Apollos watered. Or he says later in that very passage, in the building process, Paul was the foundation layer. And then he moved on. He says, I don't want to build foundation where that's already there. Someone else can do that. I'm going to go lay foundations. And that's why he had made it to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. In fact, Romans 1.13 says, I've often intended to come to you. It just wasn't his priority. He was concerned with going where the gospel had not yet gone. So he says, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel as a pioneer, as a trailblazer. He would hit key cities and he would start churches and raise up leaders and elders. And he wouldn't stay for long. He would leave and then he would leave that church in that city. And that was the mission why we're here friends and that's why biblical missions ought to always be aimed toward the planting of churches and raising up elders we're southern baptist here at Southside, and so that means that we partner with a lot of other churches to do missions with the imb the international mission board and they've got a really good foundations document you can read it online it's like 200 pages though but it's a foundations for missions listen to what they say For them, one of their core convictions of missiology is making disciples means planting healthy churches. That was Paul's pattern. Their task is entry, evangelism, discipleship, healthy church formation, leadership development, and then exit. That's exactly what Paul did. Paul wants to see the unreached reached. And he quotes Isaiah 52 which remembers right before Isaiah 53, which we read last week, the suffering servant. In fact, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 to Isaiah 53, 12 is all about the suffering servant, and that's where he quotes from here. God is restoring his people and including the nations through the work of the suffering servant on our behalf, and now we have a role to play. Two, two closing applications here. Increase your ambition and engage the unreached. So first, increase your ambition. Romans 15, 20, Paul made it his ambition to preach Christ. Now, not selfish ambition. The Bible actually condemns selfish ambition, but missional ambition. We need more missional ambition in the church. Those who are going after it. And whatever they're called to, not for their own sake, but for the glory of God. They're getting it done, but they know it's not them, but Christ through them. As the old Welsh preacher put it, I will provide the grit, God will provide the grace. We need more gritty people in the church. We need more sanctified sweats. Paul says, I worked harder than them all. No, not I. It's the grace of God that is with me. Sometimes we can be too averse to works. We're not saved by works. Well, of course we're not saved by works. Paul would be the first one who's taught us that, right? But we are saved for works. That's the goal of our salvation. It's not to sit back on our holy huddle and just wait. It's to get to work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you're, it's by grace you're saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. But don't stop reading there. Verse 10 says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not saved by works, but we are saved for works. So work hard. For the Lord, missionary William Carey, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. So work with all your heart, whatever it is you do, not as unto man, but as unto the Lord. 
gain influence. Again, not for yourself, not for self-promotion, but for the promotion of the cause of Christ. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Cream rises to the top. We need more Christians at the top. Again, working hard, gaining influence, making lots of money, and then using it for the expansion of the kingdom of Christ. God will open doors. God will close doors as well. You know, we've talked about in Romans how all scriptures God breathed, all of it, every bit of it. This is all God's word. But historically, God has used certain sections of scripture more than others. And I mentioned when we started Romans that every major revival in the history of the church can be traced back to a serious study of the book of Romans. Did you know that Paul never made it to Spain? God closed that door. But if Paul hadn't been on fire with missional zeal and ambition, this letter would have never been written. Did God close the door or did God open a door? Yes, both. So increase your missional ambition. Second, engage the unreached. See here, Paul wants to go where no missionary had gone before. And so one application could be, if you're not familiar with the 1040 window, become familiar with the 1040 window. We got a picture here, if you've never seen it. It's 10 degrees south to 40 degrees north of the equator. Roughly 69 nations across North Africa, Middle East, Central Asia. Almost... 4 billion people in this window. And it's estimated that 1.6 billion, almost half, have never had a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's priority was getting the gospel where it wasn't, wasn't where it wasn't, so that needs to be our priority. Roughly 20% of Protestant missionaries are focused on this window. 20% in the least reached half of the world's peoples. Now, I'm really thankful that we've got several partners in this area, actually, at Southside. And so learn, learn about it. Learn, pray, give, go. Pray for these people. If you've got one of our prayer directories, we don't have them now because of COVID. We'll have them again eventually. But if you've got a prayer directory, not only are there members you can pray for every day, there's an unreached people group every day you can pray for. There's a book called Operation World, really good book to have. There's the Joshua Project. That's what our family uses. So every night after dinner, we'll read a little bit of scripture. We'll sing a song and then we'll pray. And the focus of our prayer is the unreached people group of that day. It's a free app called the Joshua Project. Operation World has one too. And so not only can you pray, but you can learn a little bit about it. Learn a little bit about the country, what the religion is, what are their main needs. Often it's in the millions and there's zero Christians, zero evangelicals. It's also really neat in the app because it can tell you who else is praying. And so we'll often say, as we're sitting here, you know, we just finished up our leftovers and we can say, we're about to pray. We're about to join hands, if you will, with 4,000 other Christians that are praying right now that the gospel would penetrate this area strong. So pray, pray and learn. Give. We give as a church, give beyond. Go. If you want to go, if you're interested in going, let us know. We want to facilitate that. One of the neatest opportunities, in my opinion, is what we have going on in the UAE. Some of y'all met Anan, Samuel. What's unique about the UAE, it's an international church. So he's in Sharjah. What's unique about it is you got nations from all over the place that come in to the UAE to do work. And so Anan is just making disciples, seeing people saved and making disciples. And guess where they're going back? They're going back home 
in the 1040 window. That's an effective way to do ministry. Anand has asked us, are there healthy church members that can come here and work and just be faithful church members? What an opportunity that would be. So engage the unreached, learn, pray, give, go. And why? Let's ask why. Said so why? Why do we care about this? Romans 15, 9. Jesus became a servant to the circumcised that the Gentiles might glorify God. We want to see God honored, not just in Abilene, Texas, but all over the place. Piper famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. That's why we do what we do. We engage the unreached so that God might receive the glory. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we are here as undeserving Gentiles, rebels in our sin, deserving of being left in darkness, but you have called us from darkness to light and you've included us in the sand of the sea that was promised to Abraham and the stars of the sky that was promised to Abraham, that we would be saved and that we might honor you with our lives. And part of which is wanting to see others honor you. We want to glorify you, God, and we want to be the means that you use to cause others to glorify you. Would you be pleased to use us to that end? In Christ's name, amen.